in your restaurant. And they started to walk through what they did that was different than other restaurants. They talked about instead of the uh, kind of the cardboard box where the syrup sits, they actually have metal canisters that are cooled the whole time. Uh, they talked about the, the tubing system that runs from the back of the restaurant to the front. Having worked fast food as a teen, I know those are not refrigerated, uh, but McDonald's are. They're kept cold all the way. That The machine itself, every component in there is kept at a certain degree uh, while it's in there. Uh, the kind of plastics or materials the Coke syrup comes in contact with is very specific. I had no idea all these things were different and in different places. And then the final thing they said is the wide straw of McDonald's so that when you, when you take that... Yeah, it, I guess it goes everywhere in your mouth, and all the taste buds are hit. And apparently, so there's apparently some scientific research on why that tastes a, a little bit better. But here's what they said at the end of the article, and this is what intrigued me the most. The exec said, really, we follow the exact specifications that the Coca-Cola company puts out. And I found that very interesting, that if all of those specs, which apparently were very expensive for McDonald's to, to do this, they follow the specs exact. What, basically, what Coca-Cola is saying, look, here's our product. We have a specific way we would like you to prepare our product for it to taste exactly like we've created it to taste. And uh, whatever you think of McDonald's and, uh, and their, their food or their drive through or whatever you think, uh, I digress. Um, apparently, this is an area where they said, we're going to follow it exactly like we're instructed uh, for the best the best taste. And so uh, apparently, scientifically, they are, uh, I don't know if scientifically is accurate. That's probably a stretch. But uh, at least in some taste tests, they've, they've won that best Coke taste. So uh, what I want to talk about this morning is very similar. You see, in the church, I think where we have done, especially in the contemporary church, and when I say in contemporary church, I mean a kind of a move away from a, a traditional setting, a traditional dress, a traditional style in church. In the contemporary church, What we have done sometimes is we have kind of missed the mark a bit on the instruction manual and God's original intent to say, this is how I designed the church when I put the church into play. And and, and if it operates this way, it can be an amazing, an amazing organization that I've put in, an amazing movement, amazing organism, if you want to call it that as well. But we often kind of miss the mark on it. It would kind of be like if I bought a big thing of Coke syrup and I just took my teaspoon thing and threw it in there and then I had my sparkling water bottle and I just poured it in and I put them together and shook it up and drank it, probably I'm not going to get the t- same Coke experience. And so this morning, I want to walk through and just ask the question, what is the church about and what's the church not about? How is it that God originally intended and designed the church and how we're to function and and what we're to be. And I just want to take a look at that. You see, the first thing I think often when we think about uh, the church or we think about culture, as Christians, we often understand there's some conflict with our belief system and with culture, at least some, some aspect of our culture, there's a conflict. Now, I've not lived in other cultures. I'm not grown up there. I imagine they might say similar things and be talking about different components of that, but saying a similar phrase. In fact, if I were to just kind of scroll through Facebook, maybe even your Facebooks, right? Like I would pick up on this theme at time about the conflict of how Christians are going to function in culture. 
For some of you, it's, it's more like a prayerful comment on, Lord, help me to know how to make wise decisions in our culture. Help me to know how to raise my kids uh, from a wise biblical perspective. Uh, some of you have just gone uh, downright aggressive uh, in how you, you say things and, and, and uh, talk about this conflict uh, in our culture. So this morning, I want to just ask the question, what then, like, what should the church be about? And what is the church not about? Because this is my conclusion as I was studying this week, and I want to be up front with you. Man, I had a hard time working through this sermon this week. I, I was hitting it from all different angles and perspectives, and the list of things that, to think about including was, was long, and it was super wide. And I knew you didn't have time to hear all of that from me this morning. So let me just tell you where the Lord led me. I thought about the things that, that often in the church world we land on in the, in the respect of our do's and our don'ts. Those don't always line up with culture, right? Things that are acceptable to do in culture, things that are not acceptable to do in culture. I, I thought about the issue of tolerance, which is a hot-button issue and a word that, that for some of you, just, it just riles you up even hearing the word. And what does that look like in the, for the Christian but here's where I wanted to go. As I looked at all those things, I, f- I thought often we get very aggressive and speak very loud and, and, and against those things that we don't see that we are. Somebody else is, our culture is, and we're worried about the invasion of that into our Christian space, our Christian church. But as I got to thinking about that, the Lord challenged me to say, but Tom, what are the things that have already invaded? Like, what are the things that have, like, nearly won the battle already? And they're right there in the middle of the church world every week, in the middle of the church people, you and me, every week. And God would say, like the Coke analogy, that wasn't really the original design and instructions for you to get the most out of the church. And so that's what I want to walk through. If you allow, you'll see on your paper, there's, there's four things specifically that came to mind. Here's this verse, though, that I think articulates the conflict. Jesus is talking in John chapter 17, and he says this, I'm not asking you take them, the disciples, the followers, that's the them, them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. And see, Jesus is basically looking at his disciples as he's praying to God and he's saying, guess what, guys? You're not going anywhere. This is the world you're going to live in. And my prayer is that, God, you would protect them, watch over them. And then we find very soon after this that Jesus gives them a mission to go out and to interact in the culture as well. I think this will flush out more if we look at at our points and we, we walk through this. So let's take a look at this question. What is the church about? And what is the church not about? First one there for you. The church is not about satisfaction. The church is about sanctification. Hey, you understand what I'm saying? The, the church is not about like satisfaction. Like that's not what we're looking for to kind of just to satisfy everyone this morning. In fact, uh, when we talk about the word satisfaction, sometimes we get dangerously close to the word consumerism. Where we think about things from a perspective of you know, like, not just a what's in it for me, but do I like that? Did I like that experience? Do I like this here? Did I like what he did up there? Do I like what he said? Do I not like what he said? Why didn't they say this this morning? And on and on and on. And if we're not careful, sometimes that can sneak into the church world. 
In fact, this morning, if you so desire, after church, you could go to our, our Facebook page, any Facebook page, but you can go to the Windover Hills Facebook page, and guess what? Right there on the right, guess what you can do? You can give us a rating. Yeah, you can give us a rating. Uh, just like a movie that you saw last night, you can rate the church that way if you want. One of the things that has sunk so deep into Christian culture already is that sense of, is it good? Is it not good? And I need to voice my opinion whether I think so. Ask yourself the question when your kid comes out of Sunday school class, what un- is really the knee-jerk question you want to ask them first? Did you have fun? Yeah. Did you like it? Yeah. Now, I'm not saying there's something like sinful in asking those questions this morning, but we might be missing the mark in what we're asking the kids. We might even be building into them something that God would say, that's, like, like, that's not really my design to go down the hall and say, hey, we're going to work really hard for this hour and 15 minutes to make it the most fun thing you've experienced. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, sometimes at this point, after doing uh, a little game show thing and then a dress-up contest, I'm thinking, uh, for you visitors this morning, I'm thinking, whew, some of you are like, what is going on in this church? This is weird stuff. We want to laugh. We want to have fun. We think the joy of the Lord is, is significant and important. Um, but our overarching question at the end of the day when you leave here, it's not for your kids and it's not for you. The, did you like that? Did you have fun? Not our overarching focus. And that's why I word, chose the word satisfaction. Does it meet my satisfaction? Does it meet my approval? Instead, the church is about your sanctification. That's, that's what God talks about. In fact, if we find in the New Testament, after Jesus has already ascended into heaven, and this theology of what Jesus has shared and taught starts to develop through Peter and mainly through Paul, we start to see the word sanctification surfaces even more. What is this sanctification? John Wesley talks about sanctification, and he actually talks about it and compares it to the word perfection. Perfection. Now, immediately when I said perfection, you're like, man, that means, like, I never sin, I never do anything wrong. Like, I mean, I've already blown that this morning. But John Wesley actually talks about it in a different way. He talks about it in the terms of perfect love. Perfect love with God, perfect love for one another. And what he means that is my perfect love for God says, God, I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice and surrender of my life and follow what you would have for me. Trusting that like you have a design for my life, a purpose for my life, and a plan that I'm not seeing myself. And even if I thought I saw it, I don't think I could line it up and, and make it play out the way you as my heavenly father can make it play out. When we surrender in that way, that's, that's a pathway for perfect love to God. And I found this, is that the more I'm on that path with God, that journey and that connection, I turn and I look to people around me, whether I've known them for 15 years or I just met them, and there's something within me that wants to make a good, positive, loving connection with them. That goes beyond just the, hey, good morning, I'm glad you're here this morning. But there's something that compels me to want to connect into their life and, and share my life to some degree with them and, and hopefully allow them to share their life with me. You understand what he's getting at? Perfection, this perfect love. This is a path of sanctification. The Lord building into you and growing you. Here's what First Thessalonians says in 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. 
And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you notice what God is saying in that passage? Like his desire for you is to sanctify you. His desire for you, and and they say spirit, soul, and body to make sure you understand it's the whole of who you are. His desire is to make you blameless before the Lord. You know what blameless was in God's word? We often translate it sinless, but what it actually means, blameless, is that we look to God and like, I'm at no fault. I'm at no fault with the Father. Here's a wonderful thing is we have our Savior, Jesus Christ, who says like, hey, if you'll surrender your life and make me the Lord of your life and believe in me, like, you'll immediately, I'll make you blameless before the Father. I'll wipe those sins away. I'll wipe that past away. I'll make you blameless in front of the Father. But still we get this passage about sanctifying us. It's as if God and Jesus is saying this. Listen, I'm really it's not enough for me to just have you say a prayer and have salvation and, change, and, and make a, a decision to change your life. I want to actually build into your life and change it. Like I want to actually transform your life and design you and make you into the person I've created you for. That's sanctification. That's the journey that God would have all of us on. This morning, like, I, I guarantee, if you're sitting here and you're wondering, man, is God, is God speaking to me about sanctification growth? I, I want to tell you from a biblical perspective, absolutely, every single one of you. Because I learned long ago that sanctification is simply this, that I give everything I know of myself. You know, you actually learn more about yourself as, as you go on. Everything I know of myself, I give to everything I know of God. As I give what I know of myself to God, I start to learn new things about God. And as I learn new things about God and I'm challenged in new ways, I learn new things about myself and there's new things to surrender over to God. And that cycle can go on the rest of my life. That's sanctification. That's the design of the church. We're here to help you and encourage you and challenge you in your sanctification. That's what we're about. Like, we do it in certain styles, uh, certain ways the church does it. I'm in jeans and, and uh, my Crocs this morning uh, preaching to you. Um, some people are, are in more of, uh, you would, might call them robes, that they're wearing this morning in Orthodox churches this morning. But the, the, the message is no different. The purpose is no different. We're there for sanctification, to build you, to grow you, and challenge you. Here's the thing about sanctification, though. Um, Like, this won't get it done, just me preaching for a half hour. This is the encouragement and the challenge. And then you take it. And in your life, you spend time with God. You get challenged by God. You try new things that you think God might be calling you to do. And then God starts to build in you and raise in you. Every once in a while, somebody comes to me and says, Hey, Tom, um, I want you to know, like, I was able to rework my, my schedule. Like it came up in the time of year at my work where people could rework their schedules and I reworked mine so that I could go to men's group or I could go to that Bible study or now I can be in church weekly. Um, and you know what's happening in that? That's just a little niche of sanctification that the Lord is challenging and now you're putting into practice and you're going to reap the blessing and benefit that God has for you. Here's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
And let me ask you this. Why would anyone want to surrender their life to Jesus Christ? Why would anybody say, I, I, I'm convinced that this is a better way of living to live like Christ, and yet just continuing on living like we've always lived? It doesn't seem to make sense. Hence the word sanctification in God's word. He wants to sanctify us. He wants to grow us. That's what the church is about. You see, if we get caught so much in satisfaction, we'll never see sanctification. I wondered this week as I was wrestling with with some of the things, and I, I said I landed on some of the things I think already invaded. I thought about one thing that I think as believers, we got to wrestle with this. We really each individually have to get together with the Lord. And when I say individually, like I'm right here in the camp with you. Like we got to wrestle with the word entertainment. You want to say when I mean entertainment? Like why are we so in need in our culture, even as believers in Christ, why are we so in need of entertainment? Like, I mean, we seek entertainment on a daily basis, do we not? Some form of entertainment on a daily basis. I mean, I know uh, your kids, my kids, myself, you maybe, I mean, we can crank for hours on a Netflix series or a game or, or some activity or hobby or those type of things for hours. Yet it is just a drudge sometimes, right, for us to make it five minutes in God's Word. You see, we've let, we've let entertainment sink in. We've somehow let this satisfaction word sink in above sanctification, I share this with you this morning, this one, which I think is a strong, strongest of these four. Not to slam you over the head this morning, this was a revelation to me this morning, or this week, as I was preparing for this. This is for all of us. And so I want to encourage this this morning, that we would look and our, our focus may be different. Here's the second thing. Uh, the church is not about individuals, but about the body. Did you know that? Like, like God's Word is about a body of believers working together for God's purpose and God's mission. And within that body of believers, guess what happens? Like, you're empowered, you're healed up, you're cared for, your needs are taken care of, or your gifts are put to use, you find ways to serve, you stretch in ways that you would have never stretched uh, in your own. That's what the body of believers can do for one another. But this is the U.S., right? I mean, this is America, we are so crazy individualistic, right? I mean, when we, we process things, we nearly always process the things for myself or at least my immediate family. But as we read God's Word, especially when, when Jesus uh, ascends to heaven and Paul again starts to write here, we find all of these passages that are more corporate than they are individualistic. Yet what do we do? we interpret them individualistically. Like if I read something in the Bible, I read it as God is speaking to the individual. Let me give you an example. Do you know the passage where it says your body is the temple of God? So you should honor your body, right? Take care of your body. So what have we done? Uh, I've translated that into an individualistic perspective, right? Over the years, the church has done this. Christians have done this. And therefore, I can use that verse now to tell you you really need to stop smoking, even though the Bible doesn't actually mention smoking uh, per se, um, I'll use that passage and we will use it from an individualistic perspective saying from a physical health standpoint, your body's the temple. 
And so you should not do that. Now, in our present day and age, we, we, if you put that one uh, aside, because our younger people, our millennials, are, are just not smoking the same. Um, but health is very important. What you eat, what you put in your mouth, right? So let's just roll that passage over, then we'll, we'll use it to talk about that way. To talk about the, uh, if you don't like the Coke at McDonald's, to talk about the burger and those type of things as well, huh? Here's the problem. That passage isn't individual at all. It's corporate. It's talking to the church, the body of believers. You are a temple. You, the body of believers. Like, do you understand the history of the temple? Like, we saw it on the screen here. You have the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark went actually in the wilderness with, with uh, the people of Israel. And then when they passed to the Promised Land, the Ark went into the Promised Land. Eventually, a permanent temple was built, and the Ark was placed in the temple. And it held that place all the way up to the time of Jesus. And then Jesus goes to the cross, and while he's on the cross, the veil that would separate that Ark of the Covenant and anyone that could, that, that could see it, that veil was torn in two. Because before that, only the high priest could go in and see the Ark of the Covenant, that, that one person. In fact, it was so serious that they would tie a rope to his leg just in case he fell over dead while he was in there. Because I'm not going to go in. I'm not going in after him. You know, that's where the presence of God is. You know, I'll be struck down, kind of like you saw in the, in the film here, film clip. And here's Paul looking and saying, you're the temple. The body of believers is the temple of God. Here's what the, the Bible says, and Paul is actually the writer of this from, from Corinthians. Maybe you know some of these passages. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I, I do not belong to the body, well, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if an ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in this body, each one of you, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. But God has so composed the body that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You see what Paul is saying here? You're a body, and we're designed to function that way. Some of you, you know what? You're brand new to the faith. Brand new to the faith. Guess what? You're ever much a part of the body as anyone else. And right now, your, your role where you're at is we want to build into you. We want to disciple you. I want to tell you more about Jesus and how he can uh, get on this, this path with him uh, in your life, this sanctification journey. For some of you, like you're sitting here right now, you, like you come regularly, but you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior yet. Like you, you haven't said yes to him. And you're actually, you have some form of this, this body right here. Now, God has so much more. Uh, so much bigger of a role for you to play in the body when you're ready to say yes to Jesus Christ and become a Christian. But you're important to this church. You're here. You're checking it out. You're on the journey to see. And every week, guess what? In some way, shape, or form, you're going to hear about Jesus Christ and what he can bring to your life. Now, for those of you, uh, you're part of the body, but 
But some of you, like you work a little bit like those couple organs in the body that we're not quite sure what they do. Um, they're, they're kind of, they're there. They're always in the body, but uh, we're not quite sure what their function is. And you know what God has been doing for you? I guarantee he's been doing a long time. He's been saying, step out, find a role, plug in. Don't sit back and just seek satisfaction on Sunday mornings. Don't make your sanctification journey about getting to church and sitting in a metal chair for, you know, an hour and a half. Go full tilt. Get totally plugged in and see what I might not do in your life. That's what God's saying. And some of you, you know, you're like, that's your role. You are, you are just plugged into the hilt the way God has called you into the body of believers here whether it's outreach or serving right here or down the hall or what, whatever it is, some way, shape, or form, you are just plugged in. That's what God has said. You're, you're all members of the body. Here's what can happen, though, in the body. If the foot quits doing its job, something has to take over, right? Something has to pick up the slack. And I guess you could use that same metaphor in any body part. And God's saying, but if the way I've designed the body all the pieces included, start to function, man, this can be quite, quite an organization, what I've designed and what I've made here. It's not about individuals, but it's about the body. Thirdly, the church isn't about emotion. It's about a mission. It's not about emotion. What do I mean when I say it's not about emotion? Well, I want to be careful uh, before I, I launch into that to let you know that God uses emotion all the time to impact our life, to speak into our heart. Some of you are like super emotional people. I mean, that's just who you are. You're deeply emotional. Like, um, you know, whatever show you're going to watch, you, you might get broken up and cry over it, you know. Um, you know, you get sad at the end of the Gilmore Girls and those type of things. Or maybe you get sad at the end of some action movie. I don't know, but you're just like, you're emotional. And then there's some of us, and I think I throw myself into this camp where we're like, we're a little more stoic, you know, um, in that we're we're a little more even keel in that. You know what God says? Great. Great to both of you. I'll use emotion. That's wonderful. I'll use emotion. It's great. Sometimes people need to feel your emotion and feel your compassion. Sometimes, you know what? We need to feel your emotion to know when, when you're hurt or angry. All that's important. So don't get me wrong that I'm saying we need to be an emotionless church. But here's the danger. In the contemporary church especially— we have gone heavy emotional, heavy emotional. And often it works around our style that we do, and often it works around our music uh, as well. In fact, we say things like this often. Have you ever said uh, that, man, the spirit just fell today? Man, the spirit just fell. It was amazing. We almost always are talking about the music compo- component of a worship service or uh, an encounter or an engagement, an event, or something like that. Because we, you know, we get moved, we get emotional. And, and I, I do too. Um, I mean, we've got, we got good music here, and, and there's times when that music is very impactful. And guess what? Read the Old Testament. God has designed it to be that way. The, to react to music is God's design, and that's important. But guess what? When you drove down the road and you pulled up into the right-hand turn lane, there was two lane options, right? And you pulled into the right lane, and you came up to the corner and there was that homeless person standing there. And you honestly, if you want to be honest, you said in your head, man, if I had saw that 200 yards before, I'd be in the left lane. Um, but you're in the right lane, right? 
But for a moment, God just says, why don't you just go ahead and give something? Why don't you just go ahead and, you got five, I see five bucks laying right. why don't you just go ahead and give? And you go, okay. And you pick it up, and you hand it out the window. They say, God bless you. And you say, you know, God bless you. And you drive on, right? What just happened? Like in a short period of time from, I, I want to be in the left lane. Oh, I got stuck in the right lane. To, why don't you give? All right, I think I will. Guess what happened? I'm telling you, the spirit just fell. That's what happened. If you want to use that term, the spirit just fell. Every time we act in some way of obedience, every time we rise up to what God is calling us to, or we put into play what he's designed us for, the spirit fell, if you like to use that phrase. Why? Because the church isn't about emotion. It doesn't mean we're on and we're active and something's really happening and the spirit is really worked up if there's emotion. And when there's not emotion, that's not going on at all. Why? Because the church is about mission. That's what the church is about. The church is less about us really enjoying music or an emotional experience. And I, I would love to tell you, like, I, I'm one of your, your preachers that, that is good at really getting worked up uh, on stage so that, you know, so that you get emotional. Um, but I, I've tried it before, and most of the time I'm laughed at. Uh, so I've abandoned that strategy and just said, Tom, why don't you just go ahead and talk like you— kind of like you normally talk to people when you're, when you're hanging out on the side somewhere. Um, it's about a mission. It's about a, a, that. Getting out and doing the work of the Father. Doing it. Sometimes the work of the Father is right here. It's during greeting time because you stand up. And, and let's be honest, for some of you, you say good morning or you are greeted by more people in a matter of about five minutes than you get throughout your week. And it feels good feels good to be greeted and to chat for a few. It's good, it feels good sometimes to be able to say, hey, my name's Tom, to somebody brand new. It's great. Whether you're the new person or whether you've been here a long time, that's mission. As small as that is the mission. And when you're out and God is saying, hey, you know, your coworker, they just went through something rough and everybody's awkward around them, as we often are. Why don't you just walk across the room and just say, hey, you know, how, how are you doing? And just see where it leads. Maybe it'll end right there, but maybe it'll open up a door and you can speak and care for that person. That's the mission. It's the mission. Here's the thing I want to make sure you're clear on, just in case you've been uh, awkward on this in the past. The mission does not simply mean in the church world that when I say, okay, it's mission time, like that we all go down to a street corner, maybe ha- have a little, you know, wooden pallet that we stand on top of, and then we start preaching. And like when we're not preaching God's word, like we're off, you know, like we're off the clock mission-wise. God just says, just like, just go and live out your life and use your life in the mission. The church is designed to be a part of the mission. Mission. That means the experience you have at the event on Sunday morning— is not of the same significance as the empowerment that you and I receive to go be the mission of the church throughout the week. That's the key. Here's what the Bible says. These are Jesus' words. We shared them last week. Let's hear them again. Matthew chapter 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
I love the phrase, the baptizing, discipling them, teaching them everything. Do you know what regretfully we have done often in the church world? We've encouraged people to know Jesus Christ. Come to know Jesus, please. It'll be a better life. And then they come up and they say, hey, I just want you to know I, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I'm like, ah, that's awesome. And then we leave them alone. As if to say, and we'll never verbalize it, but as if to say, you're on your own. Figure it out. Figure out all, how all this works. You might know that uh, the dominant uh, amount of time that people come to know Jesus Christ is during their, their, kid, or their childhood or in their teen years. Yet 70% of church kids fall away from the church between 18 to 22 years old. And I think to some level, we might have struggled in discipling, caring for them, teaching them, letting them question things and walk through their questioning with love and grace as we disciple them. It's about a mission. We're on it together, every single one of us. Finally, the church is not about consumption. It's about communion. You don't understand what consumption is? I mean, it's when I try to get as much as I can get. That's consumption. And I mean, we just need to be honest, right? I mean, American Christians here, we we just got to be honest that consumption is just a way of life for us. Like you get married, right, first, and then as you go through your marriage, you almost have this unwritten understanding in your head that every certain years, there's some benchmark where you're supposed to have accumulated something else. Like, I'm supposed to have gotten out of the apartment into the house now. Okay, I can't rent the house anymore. Now I'm supposed to own a house. Um, I have this car that I drive around, and at some point I need to have, like, this kind of car. And and we just, we have this unwritten thinking that we just roll through in life often. It's a consumption mentality. It's a form of consumerism, but it's a little bit different. That we want to consume or have and often have more. But you know what? The church is about communion. It's about us communing and connecting together. In fact, we find in the early church that when people became Christians, right after Jesus ascended into heaven, this was not looked favorably in the Jewish nation. And so people were kind of excommunicated from their homes. They lost their jobs. And so when we read about the early church and what the early church did, they came, toge- <clears throat> they came together and they blessed one another whatever the need was. Oh, did you just get booted out of your house because you're a believer? I tell you what, over here... Like this guy, he's got a room, or at least he has a place on the floor, and he's going to take you in. Uh, oh, you've got like no income, no food? We're going to feed you. We're going to take care of that. We're, we're going to give you time to make that, that work. Like you, you feel like you've got no purpose now? Uh, you're not quite sure what God would have for you? Uh, we're going to talk to you about meaning and purpose and mission. In fact, this guy Paul is going out. Why don't you just tag along and learn from him? All kinds of stuff in God's word, that they took care of one another. We're the same way. The body of Christ is about communion. It's about us being connected together. It's like every once in a while when you throw a bunch of random facts on the wall and then you take the strings and you start to see if you can connect some storyline, some connection. And it's amazing that often at the end of the experiment, you look up and there's yarn strings just going everywhere. That's the same thing here. Like if you look around right now and you don't think you have a connection with somebody five rows over, 
give it a little time, I bet we can draw a string across there. And there's that form of communion. But if I'm in consumption mode, guess what? I'm always thinking about myself because I got to get it before you get it. Right? There's only so much of it, right? And I got to get it before you do. And so we stay in that kind of mode. Here's what the Bible says, Matthew chapter 6, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Do you know what God, uh, God's saying? Jesus, those are Jesus' words. He's saying the stuff you have on this earth is meaningless. It does not matter. But being a part of the mission connecting people to Jesus Christ, loving people into the kingdom, that matters eternally, eternally. And yet so often, church, if we're, if we're honest, we use most of our days thinking about how to accumulate and store up more treasures here on this earth. Book of Mark says it this way, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? we would work so hard to consume, yeah, like we missed, we missed exactly what God would have for us. That's the church. What we talked about uh, this morning, that's how the church is designed. And I've been so encouraged. Um, Wendell Hills, if you don't know it, like uh, I've been here six and a half years, like, like this has been the, the best, call it church attendance summer we've had um, for, I know many are on vacation, but every week I look at, and like you've brought visitors, new folks are coming in. Some of you pop in here. I'm like, how did you get, like, how did you get here? How'd you even hear about the church? And some of you have a storyline and some of you are like, I, I don't know. We just, we just drove around and we saw a ripped up sign on the road. You see how ripped our sign is? It is trying to survive the storms. Um, and you're here. What does that mean? Like God's blessing in that way. It's been awesome. It's great. I hope those of you who are visiting, I hope you come back. We always do. We hope you plug in to the body of believers and the family here. Absolutely. Um, but it's a reminder to us, we're a responsibility. We're a responsibility to one another. We're a responsibility to God's kingdom and to God's mission here. And it's often been said, almost every Friday night of youth camp, uh, everyone I ever went to in the 16 years of youth ministry where that's the night the speaker would use to say, if every single one of you out there went out and lived out your Christianity, you changed the world. I still believe that, though I never, never saw it happen. I still believe that that's true. If a small number did, we'd change the world. I want to tell you this morning, church, I want to say the same kind of thing. But instead of saying if every single one of you, I would say if we as a body, if we corporately as God's unit here that call ourselves Windover Hills, if we were to strive forward and say, you know what, we're going to be countercultural in some areas that we've allowed to sink into our, our thinking, our consumerism, our consumption focus, satisfaction, or to be individualistic. And we're going to, I mean, we're going to hit all cylinders here functioning as the body of believers on a mission. Man, what, what God could do, what God could do in our church would be awesome. Whether we're in a school here or whether we're down on Wendover Avenue, which is coming soon the Lord can bless. So let me pray for you to that end. And if while I'm praying, if you're like, man, that hits me right where I'm at, 
um, one of those points, all of those points. Um, guess what? God can hear a lot of voices at one time. So would you just pray right there? You can pray silently right there. I mean, you can pray aloud if you want. It doesn't bother us. But you can pray right where you're at if, you're, if you'd like. Um, and we'll just, we'll just go to the Lord and, and put this in his hands. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for those who are here that chose to, to be with us. And Father, I just want to ask and pray, Lord, I want, I want to know that, that Wendover Hills is a church that is committed to who you are. They're committed to the things of Jesus Christ. They're committed to loving you, God, fully, and they're committed to turning and loving other people. Even if we look at them and go, wow, I disagree on so many things with them. But I, I, just, I just can't help that I'm drawn to love them. And that's a mission. If you're sitting here this morning and you're like, uh, of all the sermons we've talked about in this, this silly little 80s series, like if this is the one where you're like, I can make a greater impact. I've allowed myself to be compromised in some areas. I've allowed myself to say this is church when really that was culture. Church is something different. I'm rereading the manual now and I'm seeing how God originally designed the instructions of how to put it into play. And I want to be part of that. I want to see God not, not just bless Wendover Hills. I want to see God bless his kingdom through Wendover Hills. If that's you, Lord, right now, just pray, God. I mean, just surrender that to God. Just say, yeah, God, that's me. That's me. Forgive me and, 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 and start cranking on me. I'm ready to go. If maybe this morning uh, you're here and uh, maybe you've been here a while, first morning, I don't know. But if you'd say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Like I've never clearly said, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I'm going to seek to live from you from this day on. Like if you've never done that and you're, you know God is calling you to it, it's prompting you, go for it right now. Just quietly in your head, just say that, say that prayer. Forgive me, Lord. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I want to live for you. And in an instant, right away, boom, you're a child of God. That's what he said. Yeah, I mean, you, you've connected your place into this body here. And we want to disciple you and grow you and love you. So, Lord, send us out of here, Lord, to, uh, to doing something mighty in your kingdom, even if it's getting in the right-hand turn lane, Lord, even at times when we didn't, or whether you're sparking some grand idea in our head that we're, we're excited right now about it, getting out and doing. We'll give you the glory. We pray it in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, amen. Hey, I want to um, just let you know, if that last part, if, if any of you, if you ever have said yes to Jesus Christ, if you're like, I, I'm ready to, to let Jesus come into my life, will you please, before the, the offering comes in just a couple minutes, would you just write that on your card, your red card, and let us know? Because we would love to connect with you and help you and what's, what's next on this journey. And so the ushers will come in just a minute, and they'll, they'll take up uh, these cards. And, and um, so anything you need to write to us and communicate with us on those cards, that's what they're used for, and that'd be a benefit that way. Um, I want to tell you, though, uh, where we're going. Uh, next week, we have our, our, 
our pair that went to Guatemala that I've asked if they would kind of take the whole sermon time and they would share with you about what happened in Guatemala and their experiences. So we're looking forward to that next week. It'll be a, a really good week to see what the Lord is doing, not only through them, but, but down at the, the mission in Guatemala through Caroline's Promise. So uh, that'll happen next Sunday. And then we're going to launch into a new series. Now, here's why I'm prepping you on this new series, uh, because this is an important series that I guarantee people around you in your life, your family, your friends, your coworkers, they're asking these questions. And we're going to talk for three weeks about life's toughest questions. Now, the list was longer than three, uh, but we just pulled three that we think are really significant. Like, what's my purpose in life? Why does such a good God allow such pain and suffering in our world? And so uh, over that, that three-week series, I want to just encourage you, maybe even now you've got a couple weeks head start there might be a name or two that pops in your head that you'd say, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw the invitation out and see what happens over the next couple of weeks. And I'd love for you to invite them to come and be a part of that series. We're just going to walk through it together uh, during those three weeks. I think it's going to be pretty impactful. All right, we're going to invite our ushers, if they would come, take up uh, our morning offering uh, this morning. And um, as they come,